Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. And our topic today is the emotionally unhealthy leader. I've realized uh, more and more as I talk with uh, pastors and leaders uh, around the uh, country and the world and receive emails that so many are studying the Emotionally Healthy Leader book chapter by chapter. Uh, And uh, actually, there's nine chapters in the book. And so I've really wanted for some time to create nine podcasts to go along with that systemically to move through the content of the book. So you could actually use this perhaps not simply with yourself and a podcast, but between meetings, uh, share that with people on your team as you talk it through. So there's a free discussion guide that's available on our website. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org and um, you, know, you can download that if you like as well uh, as listen to the podcast. So I want to begin by just defining the problem, which I do uh, in the chapter called The Emotionally Unhealthy Leader. And I want to get at what's underneath this. And I know it well because I've lived it. I mean, when I think about my own formation, I became a leader within one year of coming to Christ. Uh, and then I ended up on a parachurch ministry staff helping start Christian fellowships on different university campuses, uh, eventually became an elder in a church within a few years, seminary, uh, began preaching as an associate pastor. And then really, actually, only, only in uh, when I was 11 and a half year old Christian did I plant our church, New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City. I look back now and I say, what was I thinking? Uh, I mean, I had gifts. I had a certain level of anointing. I had a lot of knowledge. Uh, I was leading people to Christ, and we'd actually planted three churches, three other churches, actually four churches in seven years. That's a lot. And I was actually pastoring two of them, one in English and one in, in Spanish. But the reality was that my foundation of my inner life couldn't support uh, what I was building and eventually began to crumble. And the illustration or metaphor that I use in that really kind of is a controlling image for what I would call emotionally healthy leadership is that of a skyscraper in New York City. Uh, in that, when you, they built skyscrapers, when they do build skyscrapers in New York, uh, in Manhattan Island, which is an island of rock or granite, they have to put these deep pilings or steel beams deep into the rock under the ground uh, that can go as as far down as 25 stories. And if they don't put those foundation pilings or steel beams in properly, the skyscraper will eventually lean. Uh, or have cracks in the windows and walls. And I had a friend who was a construction engineer and talked to me about that of when they've done uh, skyscrapers in a sloppy manner uh, in terms of laying those foundational beams or pilings into the ground because they were in a rush or wanted to save money, that they've had to lift the building and redo it all over again or tear the building down and start all over. Uh, And so I, I realized that was such a great image for leadership and what I call emotionally healthy leadership and that we've got to have some pilings proper down deep in our inner life if our outer life is going to support it. And that, and so I identify four inner life issues, which we'll talk about in the coming podcasts, um, you know, face your shadow, uh, lead out of your marriage or singleness, slow down for loving union and practice Sabbath the light of these inner pilings. Uh, that if these are solid, you can build up and widen your external leadership. But if they're not, there's going to be cracks in the wall. And I found that out in my own life. And so I actually wrote the book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, after, uh, uh, boy, after, I guess, 26 years of being lead pastor at New Life Fellowship and reflecting on things, and not just in my own life, but with leaders around the world. And so I want to discuss really with you this whole issue of 
what is an emotionally healthy leader like so we can identify it in ourselves and then how do we begin to move out of it and and what are some of the issues that contribute to that in us so i define it very simply as an emotionally unhealthy leader is someone who operates in a continuous state of emotional and spiritual deficit uh, lacking emotional maturity and, and a being with God sufficient to sustain their doing for God. And what I mean by that is there's emotional deficits. In other words, manifested primarily by just simply a lack of awareness and my feelings, what's going on inside of me, my weaknesses, my limits, you know, how my family of origin, my past has impacted my present, how other people experiencing me and experience me. And, and actually because of that emotional deficit or low self-awareness, I can't actually enter into the feelings of other people and uh, what was happening for me, I was growing in skills of leadership and preaching, uh, but I wasn't growing in levels of awareness emotionally. I didn't have time for it. And then, of course, uh, in a, an emotionally unhealthy leadership, there's also spiritual deficits because I'm so we're so busy and all the activity we've got going on. And so we engage in more activity than our spiritual, emotional, physical reserves can sustain. And we end up giving out more than we actually have inside of us. And... Uh, it just leads to cracks in the uh, what we're building, regardless of what it is we're building. But the larger the leadership we're exercising, the deeper inner life we need. And so, actually, I could summarize what is an emotional unhealthy leader by, by revolving around four characteristics. The first is having low self-awareness and uh, just being unaware of what's going on inside of us and uh, being able to process it and uh, even being in touch with our own bodies when we're tired, when we're stressed, uh, when we're gaining weight, uh, maybe experiencing depression or illnesses or headaches, and just even not even making a connection of what's going on physically inside of me, uh, my body, to you know what's happening emotionally. And, uh, and actually failing to even see that maybe God's trying to speak to me through this, uh, through these difficult emotions like sadness or anger or fear. And even my triggers, just why I'm triggered, what's going on, why am I overreacting in this situation? And so I would say this issue of low self-awareness is a big one. And again, I, I know for myself uh, the busyness and the pace of activities and the amount of stuff that was coming at me just made it almost impossible to, for me to find the time uh, or carve the time to actually wrestle with what is going on inside of me in terms of awareness. But a second characteristic of emotionally unhealthy leaders is prioritizing ministry over marriage or singleness. And most leaders view marriage or singleness kind of as I got to keep it a solid foundation so I can do what's most important, and that is build an effective uh, company, leadership, nonprofit, whatever. That's my first priority. And so I put my best time and energy into leadership. And I don't put a lot of time and energy into actually cultivating uh, a great marriage or a great singleness that can reveal Christ's love to the world. And I know I had little theology for this for years. And I had a very compartmentalized, like most leaders, uh, life, which if I'm leading for Jesus and then my marriage or my singleness is kind of separate over to the right or to the left. And I'm making large leadership decisions without wrestling with the impact it might have on the integrity of my singleness or my marriage. And so my best thought, my best energy, my best creativity is actually given to the church uh, and not to my marriage or singleness. Then a third uh, characteristic of an emotionally unhealthy leader is not just low self-awareness, not simply prioritizing ministry over marriage or singleness, but also doing more activity for God 
than our relationship with God can sustain. I remember saying so often, it's inhuman to be a pastor because I'm giving out so much to other people and yet I don't have it in me. And I used to feel sometimes violent to my soul. Uh, And emotionally unhealthy leaders are chronically or repeatedly overextended uh, with too much to do in too little time. I I trust you know exactly what I'm talking about. The to-do list that would take 40 hours in a day to finish and nine days a week. And actually saying yes to things before actually prayerfully and thoughtfully and prudently considering and discerning, is this God for me? And uh, the notion of a slowdown spirituality uh, out of that my being with Jesus is is sufficient to sustain my doing for him. Uh, it's just a, it's a foreign concept. It, it, nice, it preaches well, but living it is just another matter. And then the final characteristic is actually the idea of uh, emotionally unhealthy leaders do not have a Sabbath work rhythm. Uh, in other words, don't they don't practice Sabbath as a weekly 24-hour period in which I stop, rest, delight in God, uh, and enjoy the gift of God and His grace. Uh, you may have a day off uh, to get the unpaid work of life done. But it's not a Sabbath unto the Lord our God. It's not something that is an anchor and a boundary in your life that uh, enables you to actually uh, lead well. And But part of the reason, and I talk about this here, is w- w- why do we persist in unhealthy patterns? And and it really, it's, it's a culture that uh, is in the world, but it's a culture in the church. And it's interesting. It's not simply in certain denominations. It's not even in certain countries, uh, it pervades, I would say, the uh, evangelical church, the Pentecostal charismatic church. And actually, I think of Roman Catholics and Orthodox as well, and leaders I know. It's just it's something that's become part of church life uh, and, and a church culture. And so what happens is you've got these uh, unhealthy commandments, I'll call them unbiblical commandments, that are part of church leadership life that go against and contribute to emotionally unhealthy leadership. And I want to talk about, there's really there's really four of them that I can identify very clearly. And they're not spoken, uh, you know, but there are unspoken commandments that are just kind of in the air we breathe. And just like we're birthed into a, a, a human family that has unspoken commandments of how to live and act, so we've been birthed in, uh, into a church family that has unspoken commandments that is the way leadership is supposed to be done. And if we're going to live into health and vibrancy and an over leading out of an overflowing cup for Jesus, we have to be able to identify what are these unhealthy commandments so that we can we can, we can become aware of them because you can't break what you're unaware of. And then we can actually resist them and, again, live more biblically. So there, there's four. And the first is very simply this. First unhealthy commandment that is so pervasive is, it's not a success unless it's bigger and better. Uh, it's not a success unless it's bigger and better. Now, most of us have been taught that the way you measure success is by uh, numbers, by external markers. So we measure all kinds of things, uh, baptisms, attendance, people serving, number of small groups, giving. And uh, again, not that numbers are bad. 
Uh, we see that in scripture, there is a measurement of numbers. We have a whole book called Numbers. Uh, we see in the book of Acts, there's numbers of 3,000 and 5,000 mentioned. And so it, it's not bad. And I can't think of any leaders or pastors that don't, don't want to grow bigger and better. But there's also a very wrong way to deal with numbers. And we see that in King David's life when he counts his fighting men and ends up, uh, because he doesn't trust God, it's all about him and a severe plague, you know, ends up, God brings down on the people. And the world we live in equates uh, power and your significance around numbers, whether it's your amount of wealth, your amount of power, amount of employees you have, you name it. Uh, and again, in, in, in church life or in ministry life, the problem for us is that uh, that's not how God counts you know, success. And success isn't bigger and better all the time at all. In fact, uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture is from out of John 6, when Jesus has uh, thousands following him after the feeding of the 5,000. And he begins to teach some difficult things about, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life in me. And it says there, at that point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him, John 6. And he turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave also? And he's left with so few people. Uh, but he's very content uh, in the Father's sovereignty. And he's relaxed because the Father's in full control. And if you read on in chapter 7, his family is very uptight. His, his siblings come to him and say, Jesus, no one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. You know, get down to Jerusalem and show them who you are. And they're tempting Jesus with, you know, not just you, you're not getting bigger and better. You're getting smaller and, uh, and worse. And, uh, but Jesus is just so content. He resists that temptation. And he has a much larger perspective on what God is doing. And uh, he's abiding in the Father. And, and so that commandment of it's not successful unless it's bigger and better, it's just it's not in Scripture. I mean, just look at John the Baptist. Just look at Elijah the prophet. Just go down to a number of the greats in Scripture. Uh, and that sure is not the, the truth. And so success in Scripture is abiding in Jesus, right, and abounding in fruit, whatever that looks like in your situation. And it's going to look different for each of us, whether you're in a, uh, a situation like a Bible Belt area or if you're in a... Uh, living in a country or a situation or a context where uh, ministry is difficult. It's going to be defined differently. And, uh, but the only way we're going to resist that bigger is better commandment of success is if we actually slow down and actually have a deep abiding relationship with Jesus. It is enormously challenging. Uh, and I get tempted by it just like uh, I'm sure you do. And I often ask myself this question, am I casting a vision for growth out of my own ambition or from the mouth of the Lord? That's from Jeremiah 23 and Jeremiah with the false prophets in his day. And I think we want to always be challenging ourselves. Uh, is this from the mouth of the Lord or is this really about myself? Uh, so that commandment, we just have to see it and call it out and break it in our own lives. Uh, and, yet, and seek to abide in Jesus and bear fruit for him, however that may come about in our context. But the second unhealthy commandment, which again pervades the um, leadership culture of which we're all a part, is that what you do is more important than who you are, and what you do is more important than who you are. And, and uh, you know, but the truth is, who you are is way more important than what you do. I mean, I was, I was just pushed forward in leadership uh, for years because I had certain gifts and abilities and passions and knowledge, but uh, there wasn't a lot of concern about who I was. I mean, there was some, of course. I mean, keep it together, Pete. Uh, but uh, it really missed that who you are as a person, that is 
uh, even just your ability to love and how well you love is always going to have a much larger and bigger impact than those around you, but than what you do. In fact, your, your being with God uh, is going to trump your doing for God every single time. We can't give what we don't possess. We can only give what we do possess. And it's so easy to preach great messages, isn't it? Inspiring messages and clever tweets and blogs and all that. But if, if what we're preaching, we're not living, it's not transforming us personally, uh, it's not going to transform other people. They're going to be stunted. Uh, there may be some fruit because it's truth, but it's not going to be deep fruit and long-lasting fruit. And uh, I just know what it's like to have to preach regularly and not have time to actually let those truths get in my heart. Uh and uh, to take the time to actually think about how this truth impacts me and uh, where my family of origin conflicts with it, for example, and being willing to do the hard work of sitting with a mature mentor or, or at times counselor with a, my beneath-the-surface issue. I, was just, I just kept moving fast and building. Um, and it's easy to have an inner life filled with anxiety and yet build an outer life that looks great to others. And again, it's image and um, uh, inevitably, and I want you to hear this, our interior life is going to get reproduced in our exterior life. How could it be any different? And that's why for me, one of the most important passages for decades for me has been Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And if you know the passage again, Jesus is affirmed by the Father, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. He's living in the love of the Father. And then the three temptations that come from the devil is, are if you are the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, and do something spectacular and you know sensational and you know be popular and get him basically disconnected from his being with the Father, uh, with the work of God, and get disconnected from the being with the Father. And um, so just... Just hear this and hear, hear it well, and you know what you what I do matters, but who I am matters much more. And uh, you cannot give what you do not possess. And the state you're in is the state you will give to others. And uh, and you want to be watching for those markers inside of yourself when you're doing more for God than your abiding relationship with Him can sustain. I'm talking about lack of peace and irritability or rushing. Uh, you just want to slow it down. But it's a third commandment that floats around our leadership uh, air that we breathe. And it's not just about numbers. It's not just about uh, what we do is more important than who we are. But it's also that superficiality, superficial spirituality is okay. Um, that superficial spirituality is okay. It's not okay. And for years, I assumed that if people were you know, in church, listening to sermons, attending a group, uh, a small group somewhere, and uh, they were serving, that they were growing. Uh, and no, that's not the case necessarily at all. And I rarely asked, I rarely, rarely probed. But now I do ask leaders that I'm working with, and how, how are you cultivating your relationship with God? And describe to me your rhythms of how you're, what you're doing in Scripture, how God, how's God speaking to you in Scripture and prayer and uh, I've asked these questions around the world to people, and the more I ask, the more alarmed I have become. Because in most settings, if, you, if you're a leader and you're doing your job, volunteer or paid, everyone's happy. The ministry is growing, everyone's really happy. And uh, we say, who are we to judge someone's you know, relationship with Jesus, whether it's superficial or not? And I agree, we don't want to judge, but we do want to be serving each other. And, and especially people that perhaps are your leading um, it's, 
because we can have the gifts and skills and build a crowd and create lots of activity, but it doesn't mean we're growing and being deeply connected to Jesus. And I love uh, what the Lord said to, uh, what Samuel said to David in uh, 1 Samuel 16, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, just don't look at the outside. Uh, we want to be concerned about the heart, you know, the inside. And so again, how do we do that? You know, I got to slow it down and commit ourselves. And I, I found for myself what so has served me is learning from the history of the church, uh, other church traditions, uh, especially the, the contemplative tradition going back to the Desert Fathers, the wider church around the world who do things differently, silence, stillness before God, so that I bring the good news of Christ and the gospel to the world out of a place of being with him. And that's why I think it's indispensable. I believe it's indispensable that we're learning and drinking from streams of the church uh, outside of our, our own. And finally, a, a fourth unhealthy commandment that, again, does such damage uh, to so many of us as leaders because it, it contributes to our kind of anxiety and irritability and franticness. It's this, that don't rock the boat as long as the work gets done. You know, don't rock the boat as long as the work gets done. And this, this is so interesting because for thousands of years, this hasn't changed very much. And, you know, we got this kind of false niceness, superficiality, and no, very few people like conflict. In fact, we see conflict as something is really wrong and rarely see it as a, a false piece that maybe actually if there's conflict, something actually might be right. <clears throat> and uh, I, I really do believe we're very much like in the prophetic situation of Jeremiah and Amos, where, you know, Jeremiah condemned the leaders of God's people for tolerating a false peace and security. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And they didn't want to rock the boat. And didn't want to acknowledge the existence of problems. And for years, I turned a blind eye to so many issues around me because I wanted to keep the church moving. And I didn't want to muddy the waters with hard conversations and conflicts and getting into situations which could get worse if I opened them up. And I discovered that you can't build the kingdom of God with lies and pretense that if you don't open it up, it's going to come up anyway. You bury things under the rug, but the rug is going to rise and it will erupt into a larger problem later. And so it's better to rock the boat and ask the difficult questions earlier than pay a much larger price later. And I, the great, great example of that in Scripture is the story of Peter and, with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They're in the middle of a revival, but Peter rocks the boat and calls them into account that they're pretending to be something they're not. And I often have thought to myself, what would have happened if Peter did not call out Ananias and Sapphira? If he just let it go because he didn't want to disrupt things. Uh, the Holy Spirit, would he have been quenched at that point at, uh, in that great revival there in Acts chapter 5? Would, uh, would there have been a lot more pretending that went on in the church that would have spread? Uh, what would have happened to the character and maturity of the whole church? I mean, so many things could have happened. But let me say this. If, if we allow ourselves and our leadership to be formed by these faulty unspoken commandments, even in small ways, uh, we increase highly the likelihood of some long-term devastating consequences. And the odds are as well that we're going to do damage to ourselves. I'm talking about physical damage, spiritual damage, uh, emotional damage, relational damage to those we love. And so this idea of growing into becoming an emotionally healthy leader, uh, uh, listen, it takes time. I mean, this is a, a, a radical paradigm shift. And it, it, you, you need to read and think about these things slowly. Now, I recognize most of you listening to me right now, you are driving, you're jogging, you're walking, you're cleaning your house, 
And that's great. That's podcasts. That's good. But I want to invite you. I want to invite you to slow down uh, even the way you process content. And maybe it's not through this podcast right now, but maybe you pick up the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. You, you, you get this chapter on the uh, Emotionally Unhealthy Leadership. And imagine just reading uh, this chapter or even a portion of this chapter for a month, like every day for a month, just pondering it, praying through it, reflecting on it. I mean, just the, the four unhealthy commandments I just mentioned, uh, you know, it's not a success unless it's bigger and better. Uh, and just taking some time to journal about that and how much that's in, in you and thinking about how that unhealthy, unbiblical truth is in your bones uh, and then reflecting on some of the scriptures, looking them up, but just taking time before God to just really pray through that. So you actually break that power in you and you actually re begin redefining success as, oh, I'm abiding and doing the will of Jesus abiding in him and doing his will, or what you do is more important than who you are. Imagine just taking that second unhealthy commandment, just meditating on it and just letting it get in you. Or superficial spirituality is okay. That uh, The third unhealthy commandment. Or the fourth, don't rock the boat as long as the work gets done. And really thinking about, where am I like not willing to rock the boat or make pretending everything is fine when it's not? But journaling and praying and, and not moving from these four unhealthy commandments in your own life until you have a sense where you're like, you're ready, like it's in you, like you got it. But it may take you a month, it may take you two months. But letting it get deep in your heart so that you don't, you're not just accumulating head knowledge, you're actually accumulating like heart knowledge, like you know it, not just know about it. I had someone recently tell me, oh, Pete, love that Emotionally Healthy Leader book. I read it in two days. And I'm like saying to myself, two days, you know? Or I read it in a you know, seminary class and I wrote a paper on it and I'm like, that's okay, you know, and, but it's, is it just head knowledge and we've got to slow it down and I want to invite you to slow it down. It's been one of the big cutting edges for me and my own growth um, has been taking a lot more time to read certain things really slowly. And again, if God's coming to you with a truth or a portion of truth or through a book that you take the time to actually let it get into you. Um, again, I don't want to just know about, I want to know. Benjamin Bloom was a great educational psychologist who uh, for decades has developed a brilliant taxonomy of how people learn in different areas of life. And uh, but I adapted his work into a five-stage process on how we learn and how we change. And, and it's used, again, in many educational settings today around the world but he distinguishes five levels of knowing something or really getting something. We tend to think, oh, you've, I know it or I don't know it. Um, versus, no, it's, it's a continuum. It's actually, a, you know, there's stages of knowing. Um, you know, I can, and so he, for example, I value caring for the poor versus I don't value caring for the poor. Uh, we, we don't really understand it, which Benjamin Bloom brought out so brilliantly was it takes a long time to learn something. And and, and, and here's the five levels, and, and I'll use the, I'll, I'll, let's just use what we're talking about right now of emotionally unhealthy spirituality and take his five levels. Let me just pull it apart. So aware, awareness. Oh, there is such a thing as emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Like, okay, you're listening to this podcast. Like, oh, wow. Like, I'm aware of it. This is, this is, this is, this is serious. Then number two, a second level for Benjamin Bloom was I ponder it. Uh, you know, I want to understand this emotionally unhealthy spirituality better. So you listen to the podcast, maybe you listen to it a second time. Then what, you know, you say, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up that book. I'm going to read that chapter. You read the chapter before you go to bed and now you're pondering it and 
Maybe you pick up a reference, you start looking that up, and you read through Ananias and Sapphira and maybe some other books. Then you then third level is you value. It's like, I really believe this is important. Everyone's got to know about emotionally unhealthy spirituality and get healthy. So you began to preach sermons on things like Sabbath and things like, you know, your family of origin and limits and et cetera. And you're like, this is fantastic. And and then, then Bloom says at a certain point you begin, you're, you're learning it, you prioritize your life, and you have to shift your life around it to, to slow down and actually begin to live differently. And then fifthly, you own it. It's actually all your decisions and all your actions are based on this new value. You're going to live out an emotionally healthy leadership. And it just moving to that owning it uh, is a very long process. And, and he would argue the really big shift is the, the, the middle part where you go from valuing it to actually re- reprioritize all of your behaviors around it. And most people learn things until they have to change their lives around it. And we're talking here about changing the whole way you lead, the whole way you're, you're, you see yourself, the way you see leadership, the way you see your, uh, your ministry. Uh, that's radical. And that when, so my prayer is it gets so in you that you feel it in your body when you're violating it. Uh, like you're like, oh, something's off. My doing is, I'm, I'm doing too much today and my, um, my, my being is a bit out of whack. And it's just, it's just in you in every meeting, every morning, every vacation, everything you're doing is just the values are in you. Again, everything rises and falls with, uh, on our own discipleship. And I want to invite you to a life of serious discipleship. I, I did a big um, study on masonry, and, and my soon-to-be son-in-law uh, is a mason. And uh, he's been an apprentice. Uh, now he's a tradesman, and he wants to grow into becoming a master mason. That process takes years, actually, about 10 years. And as I, you know, began to study what he's doing and looking at it, I said, wow, that is a great image of discipleship and of leadership. That, that in some ways we come into this and we're apprentices and we're learning about, you know, what this looks like. But then we grow into, uh, you know, tradesmen and tradeswomen. And then eventually, over years, we become masters. I, I would say growing into an emotionally healthy leader, into a godly leader, into a mother and father of faith, it just takes years. It takes expense. It takes time. And just like masonry, you just don't learn it overnight in the book. You've got to actually do it and get into it. And uh, I pray that you will get on this journey with me. And Because uh, then it's all about us. So it's a long process for us. It's a long process for our people. And uh, so let me invite you, go to our website at emotionallyhealthy.org. You may want to take in a personal assessment. That's always on the front page there. Am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult? Takes about 15 minutes. And it's good to take that periodically and say, am I growing? Am I moving into becoming an emotional child, teen, baby, or adult? Because again, we'll give away who we are. We can't help but not give it away. But it's been great being with you. I look forward to being with you next week. And we'll talk about the piling number one of our inner life, face your shadow. And what it means as leaders to uh, embrace that and what it means to uh, let that inform the way we plan, the way we lead, the way we build teams, the way we build culture, uh, the way we do transitions. God bless everybody. It's been great to be with you. You have a great day.